Welcome to another edition of the Network Better podcast with me, Dave Harris, talking to Jeremy Marchant, the author of the book of that name, which has recently been written and published by Jeremy, Network Better. We are discussing in these podcasts all aspects of networking. We've covered all sorts of things in previous episodes, all very, very interesting, and I urge you to go back and listen to them. I'm sure Jeremy would have summarized them on the website. But today, we're going to talk about selling. And you might think, well, selling, you don't do that in networking, do you? Heaven forbid. So, Jeremy, tell me about selling and why should I care about selling when I'm networking? So the first thing to say is, unfortunately, you do encounter people who try and do selling at networking events. I think, to their credit, uh, most organisers of networking events do frown on this uh, because most attenders at networking events don't like it. I want to define selling in a way that strikes me as being entirely reasonable. Um, If you don't like the definition, then the rest of the argument might not be so compelling. But maybe it is, because really I'm not going to talk about selling. I'm going to talk about not selling, which is something else. So as far as I'm concerned, selling is a transaction of any sort between one person and another person where the first person wants to get money for a service or product. And therefore, the transaction is about the seller, not the possible client or customer. And I advocate finding out what the possible customer or client needs and establishing whether you can provide that need, because that will more likely persuade them to be your client than if you try and sell them something. Okay, before we go any further, can I just make sure I understand this? So if I could use the analogy of... It's a cliche, but the double glazing salesman. If you get a knock on your door and you already have double glazing and the double glazing salesman is desperately trying to persuade you you need new double glazing, even though you patently don't, as opposed to you inviting in a double glazing salesman because you need double glazing, that in the second example, you are being provided with something you actually need. Uh, whereas in the first example, you're just being sold to for the sake of being sold to. Is, am, I, am I pulling that's at the a perfect, right? That's a perfect example. If you don't need double glazing and somebody is trying to get you to buy their double glazing, it can't be for your benefit. It can only be for their benefit, which, for as far as they're concerned, in the, in, from looking at it from their point of view, is perfectly acceptable. But they, that sort of person shouldn't be surprised if he gets a lot of rejections. It's funny you should mention double glazing, actually, Dave, because I am the only person on the planet who has actually bought double glazing from a double glazing salesman who went door to door. And and so what happened was I got the, the doorbell rang and there was this bloke and he said, I'm a double glazing salesman and I see that you need double glazing. Now, I had double glazing, but it was very old aluminium frame double glazing which was pretty ropey. He didn't know this but because he didn't go around the back of the house. But actually, one of the problems with the double glazing is that none of the windows opened, to speak of. Uh, and so I was in great need of new double glazing. I just hadn't got round to it. And I think what he was doing, he was walking around the local streets in Southgate in North London and knocking on the doors of the people who palpably did need double glazing, which was a sensible operation, because as soon as we mutually established that, yes, I did need double glazing, the only question then was, could I afford to pay for it now? Uh, Which, luckily, I could. And so 
he went into it, and he he did his job assiduously well. I must say, I was impressed by that, and I was impressed by the, the fitters when they came and installed it, and I was entirely happy with it. But it is a very good example where, because the individual, the salesman, had seen there was a need, and he raised the subject with me, as opposed to waiting for me to get in touch with him, which might never have happened because I'm so lazy. That is a perfect illustration of he was not selling. He was finding out or he was establishing that I had a need using his own eyes and then working out with me how he could help me solve the need by providing double glazing services. And that's exactly the way that businesses can be successful in getting work. I'm never going to say that selling doesn't work. All I'm saying is that if you approach getting clients from the point of view of finding out how your services can help them, you are more likely to get more satisfied clients than if you try and force your services on them. And whilst many people listening to this would recall in horror at the idea that they might do this and it's true they won't there's there's a distressingly large number of people who do think this is an appropriate way to behave and it sours networking events because it just gives it the wrong sort of emotional edge to them selling is ultimately a needy exercise whether or not individuals accept that because it is about the seller's need to get money so if that is true and i think it is what we're saying is that it's very very important at a networking event that you get to know the person you're talking to not just at the networking event but at one-to-ones and that sort of thing so that you can have at least a fighting chance of knowing what their needs are and what they're likely to need and whether you can provide some or all of that need through the thing that you sell because if you don't do that it's just luck it's just sort of you know and you're just selling for the sake of it yes so i agree with that but let's wind back several podcasts um because i remember doing one where i was saying that actually it's not about trying to find clients at the networking event it's actually about trying to find people who know clients at the networking event and it's a lot easier to talk to somebody who as far as you know is never going to become a client about how you're services or products help other people deal with their problems than it is if you try and pick up clients at the networking event so i just correct that slightly i I don't i don't think you should ever be looking for clients at a networking event but the principle holds true that you're it's still about finding the need it's still about recognizing the need you know whether it's the person in front of you or the or, or somebody they know or explaining to them the sort of things you do so that they in turn can pass that on and refer you and so on and so forth but it but it isn't just about i've got to sell you know 30 of these a month and therefore i'll try and sell them to the first person i bump into i, I think if if you look at it from if you look at networking from the point of view of finding people who know people who might become clients then focusing your attention on those people who will ultimately be referrers enables you to talk to the referrer in a way that they will find useful in terms of remembering what you do and matching up what you do and how you solve people's problems with the people that they know. And that means you don't have to go into a great deal of detail about what your services are. 
and actually you would be ill-advised to expect your referrer to explain to somebody else what your services are because their capacity to get it wrong is almost infinite. And a story which I've probably told before on another podcast, but I'm going to tell it again. I was at a networking event and I met a guy whose job, he's retired now, but his job was to work for one of the government quangos, which in the days when governments actually provided money for small businesses, was about finding, his job was to find people who could benefit from services to improve their business and at that time a long time ago it was the Blair government David Lammy was running a service called the skills pledge which was trying to upgrade the level of skills of the British workforce because then and now we are lagging way behind France Germany even Spain Italy so there was money on the table so this this person was Working in the NHS, he wasn't NHS himself, he was working for this Quango, but his job was to find areas which NHS trusts needed training in because he had the money to pay the trainer who would train the hospital staff. And I had a one-to-one with him. I met him at a network event. And then I had another one. And he was, he was so interested in emotional intelligence, he had another one. And my, I estimate we had five hours, which was almost all me telling him about emotional intelligence in the workplace. And nothing happened for a little while. And then I got uh, an email from him and it said, Dear Jeremy, uh, if you fancy working for such and such a NHS Foundation trust, give so-and-so a call because she wants to talk to you. If you're not interested, I'll find somebody else to do it. So I contacted the lady, of course. I had a meeting with her, got the work, And afterwards, once I got my knees under the table, I asked him, what did you say to this woman such that she was prepared to invite me to her office? And I also asked her, what did he say to you such? And I got the same answer, so it's probably true. What she had said to him was, do you know anybody who does training in emotional intelligence? And he said four words, talk to Jeremy Marchant. And that's the perfect referral because it does not rest on the person who said talk to Jeremy Marchant knowing anything really about the detail of what I did. But the fact that he recommended me was good enough for her to invite me to talk about emotional intelligence training. And the interesting thing was, and this is really important, is that I sat in front of her And she told me about this half-day training course in emotional intelligence that she wanted to give staff in her trust, her hospital. These people were all bands one to five, so they're more junior staff. They, They could be cleaners, they could be secretaries. And she expected this to take place in a half a day. And I I was really very reluctant to do this because emotional intelligence is an academic subject. And you don't teach academic subjects to junior staff in half a day. So luckily she showed me the large spreadsheet she had of all the courses that she was seeking to find trainers for and included everything from English as a second language uh, through to um, Pilates and stress reduction. And, and there were four courses, one day each, which were for dealing with difficult people, handling change uh, and so on. So I spent five minutes explaining to her, convincing her that she didn't need a course, half-day course in emotional intelligence, which she was amused by because she probably never had somebody come to her office and explain 
that they didn't want to do the work. But I did say, well, but we could do those four days because that's the use of, that's the application of emotional intelligence. And if you want the technical stuff in there, we'll filter it in over the course of four days. And so there are two really important things about selling there. First is, I didn't sell to her. She invited me because she was convinced by this person that I was a person that she needed to talk to to fulfil her needs. When I was completely open and said, you think you have this need, but actually you don't, so cross it off your spreadsheet, but we could, if you wanted us to, fulfil your need for these four courses. She bought that because... I had explained how we would meet the need. I did, no point did I say that she should buy it from me. And the final part of the story, which is really nice, I think, is that I'm, I'm very reluctant to have people become clients at their first meeting with me because they will almost always think of an objection the moment I've left. And if they're the client... And then they have an objection. Their only course of action is to not be the client anymore. So I stopped her asking me to be the service provider. What I said was, well, look, if we're going to do this, then you really ought to meet my business partner because we would do it as a double act. And it's quite draining doing emotional intelligence training all day. So you meet her, see if you like her, see if she's going to fit in and so forth. So the training manager was happy to do that. And so we had this meeting at which uh, the training manager exhibited all the signs of having bought the service completely before I'd even walked through the door the second time. So we're having this conversation. We talked for some time for how it was going to work, what we needed, and it was always, always couched in terms of, well, if we were to do the training, then we would need to have da-da-da-da. And after about half an hour, I realised that there was a problem. So I said to her, and this only works because we were getting on very well, I said to her, look... You know, I've got to raise, got to raise a problem here. Um, and she looked quite concerned, and my business partner looked concerned. And she said, so what is it? And I, and I said, well, the problem is that I never work for anybody unless they ask me to. And you haven't asked me. And she laughed, and my business partner fell off her chair. Because, uh, you know, you could say that's a very high-risk strategy. But it was actually using humour bearing in mind that I thought I was going to get away with the humour, which I did, in order to give the client the responsibility for the decision to be the client, as opposed to me selling it to her, at which point she would always know that it was my decision, really, and as soon as anything went wrong, she'd blame me. And by having her willingly take the responsibility for asking to be the client increase her motivation her commitment i should say tenfold probably uh it's so important and we got a lot of work from that and it's just about getting the really clean relationship and stripping away my neediness to get the work and the money because actually by doing that and this is a subject we've talked about all over the place in these podcasts by getting rid of my need i actually make it more likely that the need is met that's a very interesting story i wonder if i might just before we before we finish this podcast i might just drag you back to that initial thing which fascinates me where you were referred uh, by this very simple 
you know, talk to Jeremy Marchant phrase. And if somehow that referral had been different, so say you had spent a lot of time with this guy explaining to him exactly, you know, how you taught things and the sort of courses you delivered and gave him examples and case studies and all that. So you kind of filled his head with this stuff. And he'd ended up, when this opportunity arose, saying, well, Jeremy Marchant does this, this, this and this, as opposed to saying, talk to Jeremy Marchant. Do you think there would have been a different outcome then? Well, I, I hope I wouldn't have actually done what you said I might have done. Yes. And, and so, but it's a really important point. So telling, telling my referrer, let's call him Dave because that's what his name was, uh, telling Dave how I worked and what the courses are and how long they are and all the rest of it, that is, that is almost guaranteed to confuse him because he does it that information is not really relevant to the training manager of the hospital what i showed him what he liked so much was the models that i use and which i base the training on and he found the models so interesting that he asked for a third one to one and he was therefore in a position to basically say if he wanted to say more than four words he said talk to jeremy march he's got some really interesting ideas about you how you can use emotional intelligence in the workplace which was exactly the thing that she was interested in at that moment yeah so in other words he was convinced uh, of your efficacy and your expertise and so on and so forth so therefore it was kind of a no-brainer for him to recommend you yeah. and, and and in that very simple fashion yeah and she clearly thought, well, she obviously trusted this guy, and and when he said talk to Jeremy Marchant, that carried great weight. And I can't I can't remember exact, obviously the whole conversation that I had with Dave, all three of them, but I would imagine that we got to the point where he says, well, this is really interesting. I, I think this might be of use to training managers in the hospitals that I cover. What should I say to them? And if he didn't ask me what he should say to them, I certainly would have told him what he should say, uh, which was nothing, if possible, other than to tantalise them with the fact that I had some really interesting stuff because he found it interesting. Now, the, the, the only weakness of my story, if it is a weakness, is that you have to say that Dave was ve- held in very high regard by the training managers with whom he worked. And I suspect that if he breathed on somebody, it would be constituted as a recommendation. Um, so that's that's in my favour. But I suspect the process would have worked anyway. So it's it's about what I really did was about piquing his interest and telling him about the, the number of sessions I do in a training course or whatever that is not interesting. But telling him the model that I have, which is the model which a lot of these podcasts are based on, was really interesting to him, and therefore he assumed that other people would find it really interesting. Well, I think that, that's a very good example of how to, how to sell but not sell, if I can put it that way. Thank you, Jeremy, for another fascinating insight into, into an aspect of networking. Please join us again because we'll be back soon. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you.